Just about four months ago now, we gathered here to celebrate the birth of a baby in a stable. And just a couple of days ago, we gathered to remember how that same baby, 33 years old, was betrayed by the very people that he came to save and was put to death on a cruel Roman cross. But today we come to celebrate the fact that the one who died came alive again from the grave. The child who was once wearing swaddling clothes left behind on Easter morning an empty shroud. Today we celebrate God's victory over sin and death. On that first Easter morning, the stone was rolled away from the tomb and Jesus came forth as a guarantee of eternal life for all who put their faith and trust in him. So we're happy that you're here today to celebrate this day with us. Pray with me. Loving and generous God, you gave us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ an event that both blesses us and sometimes baffles us. Help us today to find courage in the music that we sing and in the words that we share so that our lives may no longer be enshrouded in the fog of doubt or sadness, but our eyes may be opened and our joy restored by your comforting words. You don't need to be afraid. I am with you always. May the risen Christ meet us here as we worship you and may we marvel at your presence. Help us, O God, through your grace to believe. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we celebrate the ancient hope of Christians everywhere that after death comes a new style of life. The story of Jesus' resurrection is an old story, but our experience of God's presence is renewed each time that we get together. And in spite of all the pain and suffering the betrayals and the losses in our lives. Easter is about God lifting us up from our tomb and creating new life and new possibilities for each of us. And my prayer today is that you will experience a new sense of hope in your life today as Christians around the world proclaim the central fact of our faith that Christ is risen. Pray with me, will you? Eternal God, we thank you uh, today for all those who have come to experience the message of Easter, a message of hope and of life and of change. So thank you for the transformation of winter into spring, of death into life, of grief into joy. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, to be in your presence, to sing and to pray. So bless our lives, for we offer them all to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. One Easter morning, a pastor and a taxi driver both died and went to heaven. St. Peter was there at the pearly gates waiting for them. Come with me, said St. Peter to the taxi driver. Taxi driver did as he was told. He followed St. Peter to a great mansion. It had everything you could imagine from a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized pool. Oh, my word, thank you, said the taxi driver. Next, St. Peter led the pastor to a rough old shack with a bunk bed and a little old television set. Hey, wait a minute, I think you have this a little mixed up, said the pastor. Shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion? After all, I was a pastor of a local church. I visited the sick. 
I preached God's word. Yes, that's all true, St. Peter responded, but during your sermons, people slept. And when the taxi driver drove, people prayed like crazy. <laughs> well, hopefully you had a lot of rest last night and uh, we're going to spend the next few moments. I hope you're awake and dialed in as we spend some time in God's word together. Two weeks ago, we started this teaching series called Paradise Lost, Paradise Restored. And through this Easter season, we've been focused on the many references in the Bible to gardens. Gardens are an important part of the biblical story and a big part of our story. The first few chapters of the Bible and the last few chapters of the Bible describe for us what God intended life to be like. They describe life lived in relationship to our Creator. They describe what paradise was supposed to be and will be again someday. And everything in between those early chapters and the last few chapters of the Bible is the story of God trying to restore us to a relationship with Himself. It's the story of a world that's marred by sin and brokenness, and it's the story of our salvation brought about by Jesus' death and resurrection. In the first three chapters of the Old Testament book of Genesis, we are introduced to the creative power of God and the beginning of life as we know it. This is the story of the Garden of Eden. And if we skip over to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, life ends in a similar garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Genesis story, paradise was lost. At the end of time, God promises a new heaven and a new earth, the recreation of the Garden of Eden, or paradise restored. But in the middle of the Bible, between paradise lost and paradise restored, is the story of Jesus' life. His life was the visible sign of restoration. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Today on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is another story that partially takes place in a garden, not a vegetable garden, but a well-cared-for garden, a place we today might call a cemetery. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says, the place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. So when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb on the first day of the week to either anoint the Jesus body uh, for burial or just to be near him, she went to a garden. But when she got there, the stone that had covered the tomb had been rolled away and the body of Jesus was gone. After all the disciples had come to check out that empty tomb and left again, Mary hung around. She didn't know what else to do. She didn't know where else to go. So she stayed in the garden because that was the last place that she had seen Jesus. Hear how the Gospel of John describes the scene. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. 
Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Now the resurrection takes place in a garden and the risen Jesus is thought to be the gardener. God created the world to be a beautiful garden, which I guess makes God the ultimate gardener. Adam and Eve were created to live in the Garden of Eden where they could walk and talk with God forever. But their sin, the sin of disobedience, their desire to be like God drove them out of the garden and That is not just their story, it is our story. So we know that our sin drives us away from God, away from the paradise that he created, and on our own, we cannot get back. On our own, we cannot recreate the garden of God, but what we can't do, Jesus can. And so in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made the choice to restore paradise by taking up a cross and paying the penalty for our sin. And Jesus did the work of redemption by suffering and dying on a cross. And today we see that it is also a garden where Jesus rose from the grave. And the reason Jesus did all of that was so we could live with God forever in paradise. Paradise literally means the king's garden. And so what Jesus did was open the gate for us to live with him forever. Paradise was being restored. And at the very end of the Bible, we see eternal life and the kingdom of heaven described as a garden. Revelation chapter 22, in the first five verses says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and forever. Just as in the Garden of Eden, in this garden there is a tree that brings life. The leaves of the tree are for healing and for unity. Water flows through the garden, which quenches the thirst of all who long for God. What a great hope that is for us. Life in paradise will one day be totally restored. The Bible begins in the Garden of Eden where the first human beings, Adam and Eve, were driven out. It's a story about what also happened, though, to us. Because of our sinfulness, paradise was lost. But the work of Jesus redeems us, and we are brought back into relationship with God. And then the Bible ends with this eternal garden and the fullness of life. And when we trust in God's love and accept what God has done on our behalf, the garden of God is open to us. Through Jesus, we are promised resurrection 
and were given the gift of eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can experience an eternal life which is yet to come, but it also means that we can have a meaningful life here and now. Let me suggest to you quickly this morning four important lessons that I think we learn from this Easter story. And the first is this, Easter shows us that God confronts the problems of sin and evil. While at times it may appear kind of hopeless, and we may feel that because of the darkness and the evil that seems to permeate our world, God does not leave us in that darkness. God walks beside us because God's power is greater than the power of sin. Secondly, Easter shows us that God doesn't just allow evil to continue and darkness to reign forever. God has a response to darkness, and it's simple. God brings light. The darkness of a tomb was invaded by the light of God, which caused the stone that sealed the tomb in darkness to be rolled away. The resurrection brings the power of God's light into the darkness of our world, and it is a light that the darkness will never overcome. The beginning of John's gospel says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. From the beginning, we knew that the darkness and evil uh, would not win, and the resurrection is the fulfillment of that promise. God's response to the darkness of sin and evil is to shine his light into the world in order to drive that darkness away, and God does this just for one reason only, and that's because he loves us. God loves us and wants us to experience the fullness of life, which means being set free from the power of evil, from the power of sin. Jesus overcame the grave, and in that resurrection, we are given light and life. Third, Easter is also God's promise that sin and death will never have the final word. God doesn't just confront sin and evil. God overcomes it. He destroys it. When we first look at Jesus on the cross, it might appear that sin and death and violence had the upper hand. After all, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the personification of love and all that is good was beaten. He was crucified. Evil seemed to have won won, and death seemed to have the final say. But on Easter, we are told that sin and death will not have the final word. God is always victorious. God's power of love and light and life conquers sin and even death. And the Bible uses some pretty strong words to talk about the power of God over sin in the grave. The Apostle Paul says death has been swallowed up in victory. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In all things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Our Savior, Christ Jesus, has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And while we may talk about Jesus being meek and mild and humble and loving, we can never forget about the power of God that Easter represents. Death was swallowed up and destroyed forever. The tomb was opened, a gravestone was rolled away, there was a victory, and that victory doesn't just belong to Jesus, it belongs to all of us. Adam Hamilton, who is lead pastor of Church of the Resurrection, a United Methodist Church in Leewood, Kansas, has said that maybe what we need is to reimagine what Easter is about. Maybe we need a different image. One of the images that stands out to me is, uh, and some of you may be old enough to remember this, it's an iconic picture. 
showing the great boxer Muhammad Ali defeating Sonny Liston to be the heavyweight champion of the world in 1965. And the picture shows Ali with Sonny Liston laying flat on the mat and he's standing over him. Um, Ali knocked out Liston in the first minute of the first round. They had met a year earlier and no one thought Ali, known at the time as Cassius Clay, had any chance against Liston. Liston became the heavyweight champion of the world by defeating Floyd Patterson in 1962 and 1963. Both times, he knocked out Patterson in the first round. Sonny Liston learned to box in the Missouri State Prison where he was serving a sentence for armed robbery. And he was considered to be the most intimidating boxer of his day. The manager for another contender at the time said, we don't even want to meet Sonny Liston uh, walking down the street. That was how terrifying he was. No one believed that Ali stood a chance in the ring. In fact, one reporter was told to drive to the closest hospital and wait there because that was where Ali would end up after the first round. But it didn't happen. Ali won. That image, that picture of what Easter looks like is what Jesus did in conquering sin and death. On Friday... With Jesus on the cross, it looked like sin and evil had won. Jesus, no one gave Jesus a chance. Even after his death, a sealed tomb made it look like the power of death had won. But then Jesus emerged victorious. He didn't just defeat death, he destroyed it. Now here's the fourth lesson for us this morning. If this is how Jesus deals with sin and death, then what Easter also tells us is that the worst thing in our lives is never the final thing because the power of God is with us. We are able to overcome. We're able to be overcomers. We are people of hope. The power of Christ's resurrection is part of the power that God gives to us so that the worst thing in our life is never the final thing. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. The question is this. What is the worst thing that, has, that you've ever had to go through? What is the worst thing that you've ever had to go through personally? For some here today, that might be you failed in something at school, or you failed at a job, or you, you failed in, with someone with whom you had a close relationship. You know, the apostle Peter knew what failure was about. Peter was devoted to Jesus, and he promised Jesus that he would never betray him, never deny him, never desert him. And yet on three occasions, on the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied he even knew Jesus, and twice he ran away. This was a complete failure for Peter, and there was nothing worse he could imagine. He sat down and he wept. But seeing the risen Jesus told Peter that his failure was not final. There would be another opportunity for him to show his love. It told Peter that there would be another opportunity for him to be faithful and courageous. His worst thing was not his final thing. Our failures never are. No matter how or where we have failed, God redeems us and lifts us up and is always moving us forward. Maybe the worst thing that you're experiencing today is fear or anxiety that has become paralyzing. 
Maybe you're filled with doubt or apprehension about something, and you don't even know how to move forward. The disciples understood that kind of fear also. They were so afraid when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. They were afraid after he died, so they hid in an upper room. And once Jesus came in and stood among them as their risen Lord and Savior, they found the courage and the strength to overcome that fear. The worst thing for them was not the final thing. And for many of us here today, the worst thing may be that we're facing illness, maybe even death itself. That may be for ourselves or someone close to us that we love. And while the suffering we go through ourselves and with our loved ones is a terrible thing, even then we need to remember that the worst thing is never the final thing. Let me tell you a quick story about an amazing woman who demonstrated this very fact. Penny was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, inoperable. And while she fought the cancer and hoped to overcome it from the moment of her diagnosis, it was clear that even if she died, it would be okay because death would not have the final word. The worst thing for her and her family would not be the last word. The more Penny talked about her faith in God and trusting the gift of God's eternal life, uh, the more people around her could see in Penny that the worst thing in her life, this battle with cancer, was not going to be the final thing. She knew a resurrection was coming. And what I love about Penny's story is that her faith in the resurrection and God's victory over, uh, over death was something she believed in and trusted in long before her diagnosis. Penny uh, also loved horses, and uh, she had worked hard for years to breed her horse to produce a champion show horse. But on Easter Sunday one year, her horse gave birth, and she named the horse Rose. And her friends were thinking, how nice, named after a beautiful flower. She said, no, Rose, as in Jesus rose from the dead. See, even before she was sick, Penny had an understanding of God's power over sin and sickness and death. And she knew that the worst thing in her life would never be the final thing because Jesus rose from the grave. And every Easter since, Rose continues to be a reminder to that family that the worst thing is never the final thing. Penny's faith and trust in the resurrection needs to remind us that no matter what we may be facing today, the worst thing is never the final thing. What Easter tells us is that even death is not final because Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated death and he defeated sin. He destroyed it. He swallowed it up in victory. It's gone. It's annihilated. It's wiped out. And in its place is a garden where we can experience the fullness of God now and forever. You know, we can live with the power of Christ's resurrection at work in us because Part of the Easter story is that God gave that power to us. In the Garden of Eden, God breathed into us the breath of life. Genesis 2, 7 tells us, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. God breathed his life into us. After the resurrection, the same thing happened. In the upper room, Jesus gathered with those disciples again and said, peace be with you. John 20, 21 and 22, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God's breath gave Adam and Eve the power to live their life, even after paradise was lost. After the resurrection, Jesus breathed on his followers and again gave them the power to live life anew in a paradise that was being restored. Easter tells us that we've been given the power of God to live life to the fullest in, God, in the king's garden. But this power and life is not just for us. Jesus said, I'm sending you. We aren't just called to live in the kingdom of God. We are called to take it out into the world and draw others into the kingdom. Easter is about living with God's power and working to recreate God's garden. And when we live with hope, and when we work for justice, and when we offer compassion, when we extend grace to others and to those in need, we are part of those who are restoring paradise. See, God created us to live in paradise, and the resurrection of Jesus ensures that this opportunity is open to all of us. Sin, evil, and death have been destroyed, and the worst thing is never the final thing, because life and love have ultimately won the day. By accepting the grace of God and the power of God's Spirit, we can live life with God forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you constantly are making all things new. Thank you for the victory and the power that is in your name. Thank you that you hold the keys over death, that by your might, Jesus was raised from the grave, paving the way for us to have new life with you. Thank you that you had a plan and you made a way for us. We confess our need for you today. We ask that you renew our hearts and our minds and our lives for the days ahead. We pray for your refreshing spirit to wash over us, keep your words of truth planted firm within us, Help us to keep focused on what's pure and right and good and give us the power to be obedient to your word. And when the enemy reminds us where we have been and attacks our life, we trust that your voice speaks louder and stronger, reminding us that we are safe with you and that your purposes and plans will ultimately not fail. So shine your light in us, through us, and over us. May we make a difference in this world for your glory and your purposes set your way before us today. May we reflect your peace and hope to a world that so desperately needs your presence and your healing. God, thank you for your indescribable gift. To you be glory and honor on this resurrection day and forevermore. Amen.